Creating an innovation culture. Now, in a perfect world, it'd be nice to be able to order an innovation culture online. Simply press a button and click, and there we have it, a ready-made source of innovation. Unfortunately, the reality is a little harder than that, though the evidence shows it is usually worth the effort. Companies like Pixar or 3M aren't successful just because they're lucky. Now, this is the second podcast in a two-part series looking at the question of how we might create an innovation culture. You can find the first episode also on the platform. Now, delivering a steady stream of award-winning films doesn't happen by accident. It's the result of deeply embedded patterns of behavior that capture and channel the creativity of employees in a company like Pixar. And in the case of 3M, their ability to keep renewing their vast stable of products, remember they have about 50,000 products in their range, is going to depend on something the company has been doing for over a hundred years. Working in ways which deliver a regular flow of incremental improvements, liberally interspersed with breakthrough ideas. And these chart their progress over decades. Scotch tape, masking tape, post-it notes and many others beside. It's not just about products. Toyota is another long-term success story, and much of its edge comes from a strong process innovation culture, one which engages every member of its workforce in continuous incremental innovation, Kaizen. Toyota have been doing this for well over 50 years, and they've been counting. Typically, they receive over a million suggestions every year, and they implement the vast majority of them. And if we look at members of what might be called the Hundred Club, those organisations which have survived and prospered for over a century, we can quickly see their success is due to continuous innovation. And look a little more closely and you'll see there's an underlying culture which underpins that. Take a company like the German firm Heller, something of a hidden champion in the automotive industry. From a startup in the very earliest days of the car industry, Heller has grown to become a global player, active in lighting and electronics, and well-placed to take advantage of the new game emerging around mobility. This hasn't happened by accident, but through a consistent commitment to innovation. So, having an innovation culture is pretty useful, but merely wishing for one isn't going to get us very far. If we're serious about building an innovation culture, we need to start by understanding what this involves. And that except for a very small startup, the chances are that we'll need several subcultures under our overall organizational umbrella. Culture, as we heard in the last podcast, is all about the way we do things around here. The shared patterns of behavior that become the norms we live and work by. As Edgar Schein's model points out, culture doesn't magically appear. It's built up over time by a process of rehearsal, negotiation and practice. Eventually, it becomes part of the fabric of our organisation and it gets reinforced by artefacts like structures, policies and procedures. So in an innovation culture, we'd expect to see structures for creating ideas and developing them into something that creates value. There would be reward and recognition systems in place, measurement frameworks, resource allocation rules, all sorts of things to enable innovation to happen. 
People working within this system would behave in particular ways, reflecting their shared beliefs about innovation. Now, over time, we'd like these patterns of behaviour to become embedded in the way we do things around here. And if we're successful, they'd become hardwired into the organisation, part of its processes, procedures, rules and structures. Now, the technical term for these innovation behaviour patterns is routines, behavioural routines. And they're a bit like the genetic code which provides the programmes shaping how the organisation behaves. Just like DNA, these routines are to some extent specific to any particular organisation. They give it its personality. We think of the Toyota way, or of Google's entrepreneurial culture, or Pixar's creative candor. These are all company-specific patterns of behaviour. So how do we go about building our innovation culture? Well, an excellent place to start is to think about the key routines we'd eventually like to see in place. How do we search for ideas? How do we make choices about which ones to back? How do we manage the process of development and launch? How do we mobilise the creativity and knowledge of our employees, customers, suppliers and other stakeholders? What behaviours, what routines underpin these? And dispelling some myths is quite important here. First of all, it's not going to be about following fashion, trying on new clothes because they seem to offer something new. There are plenty of attractive culture recipes around. For example, Google's policy of giving its engineers 20% free time, or Amazon's two pizzas model for organising teams, or Adobe's kickbox process for employee engagement. In the context of their host companies, these are potent approaches. But simply copying them isn't likely to get us far. It's like trying to become Beyonce just by wearing the same clothes as her. So, back to Edgar Schein. We need to build up from foundations, constructing the set of behaviours which work for our organisation. We can borrow ideas. It's a bit like splicing new genes into our makeup. But we do need to make sure they're absorbed into our world. It's also not about programming. People aren't robots. That's one of their strengths in the world of innovation, their ability to think in different ways. It might seem infuriating at times, but rather than try and program culture, it's worth looking at a different approach, one which creates structures and support within which people can do their own thing. Corning's vice president, Wagi Ishak, a company which is another 100 Club member, put it nicely with his concept of innovation parenting. He said, In my experience, innovative cultures start with a philosophy and a tone, one analogous to the classic parenting advice that children need both roots and wings. And of course, it's about trust, giving people space and time, providing them with direction and support, but then letting them get on with it, acting like entrepreneurs, experimenting, learning, and very possibly making mistakes. One of the core values within Heller is the idea of entrepreneurial responsibility. And it was expressed well in an interview with Dr. Jürgen Behrendt, who was the managing partner of the organisation for many years. He commented that an essential prerequisite for the creating of technologically advanced products or for the designing of innovative processes is freedom. The kind of freedom that our employees enjoy when they're trying out their ideas and breaking new ground. 
against the backcloth of entrepreneurial responsibility for all employees, a vital feature in our corporate values, such freedom provides great scope for creativity within the development process. So let's look at four key steps to building our innovation culture. As we've seen, cultures don't just happen, they're built up and reinforced. And there are four key tasks at the heart of this. We need to articulate, to enable, to reinforce and to review. So let's look a little more closely at each of these. Let's begin with articulating, clarifying what we believe in, the values we want others who join us to share. What kind of organisation do we want to be in terms of the way we approach innovation? Can we make that explicit? Can we bring that to life? For example, here's a few statements. Innovation isn't just reserved for so-called creatives or leaders. It's for everyone. Richard Branson talking about the approach in The Virgin Group. Failure isn't a necessary evil. In fact, it isn't evil at all. It's a necessary consequence of doing something new. That's Ed Catmull for a long-time president of Pixar. Or how about Steve Jobs? Sometimes when you innovate, you make mistakes. It's best to admit them quickly and get on with improving your other innovations. Or Elon Musk. Failure is an option here. If things aren't failing, you're not innovating enough. So these are useful, but we do need to go beyond these rather high-level pronouncements. Otherwise, they run the risk of simply hanging in the corporate air like so many motherhood statements. We need to specify in more detail the kinds of behaviours which will support those beliefs. What do we actually want to see people doing? What do we want to hear them saying as they go about their work? What stories do they tell about success and failure in innovation? And what behaviours underpin that? For example, the global design and innovation company IDEO papers the walls of its project rooms with reminders of the behaviours which work for them. Phrases like embrace ambiguity, learn from failure and take ownership can be found all over their offices in different parts of the world. But they're not simply slogans. Each of them is illustrated with examples, reinforced by exhibits which show them interpreting and adding to them, these ideas being developed by team members. IDEO realised some time ago that its culture was so important to its business that eventually it set up a team with the job of codifying the company's culture and putting it into a book to give to new employees, the little book of IDEO. Toyota does something similar. It has its core behaviours mapped out in a document which is issued to every new employee, which describes the Toyota way, the company's underlying values and its core practices and what it expects to see you doing around innovation behaviours. Let's then look at enabling all of this to happen. How do we put in place mechanisms to enable people to learn and practice these behaviours? Well, this might involve training them in specific skills, such as problem finding and solving, or using design thinking. It might include providing structures to support and guide those behaviours, policies and procedures to be followed. It may be creating an enabling platform. For example, if we want high involvement innovation, it makes sense to have a way to share and build on ideas, collecting and deploying them, bringing the concept of the suggestion box into the 21st century through some kind of collaboration platform. 3M's innovation culture 
includes a long-standing commitment to its 15% policy. Essentially, in a policy that gives people time and space to explore their own ideas, which is an approach borrowed rather successfully by Google, who attribute some of their major successes like Gmail to this model. As 3M's technical director Kurt Beinlich commented, it's one of the things that sets 3M apart as an innovative company. By sticking to that culture of giving every one of our employees the ability to follow their instincts, to take advantage of opportunities for the company. For Pixar, the ability to challenge and confront is critical to the company's creative success. They recognize that people may feel uncomfortable speaking out, and so they created the Brain Trust, an approach which offers a safe zone kind of meeting in which anyone, irrespective of job title or seniority, can challenge and give honest feedback. Sometimes the enabling can come from a physical environment. Heller was concerned to create a different culture to enable it to work in startup mode, a style of thinking which was alien to the main company, but which would involve challenging, experimenting and playing around with often crazy ideas. So rather than try to do this within its traditional headquarters, Heller set up a different kind of innovation space, an incubator lab within which different behaviours could flourish. And back to Pixar. One of the major innovations Steve Jobs introduced during his time there was to change the architecture of the building to allow for creative collisions, people bumping into each other and having conversation. The goal was to use the physical environment to enable and support key innovation behaviours. Now our third task is all about reinforcement. Anyone with children, especially toddlers, will be familiar with the challenge of installing behaviours. It's not simply a matter of setting out the rules of the game. Most two-year-olds have a wonderful facility for making sense of their world in their own ways and enforcing it to conform to them. If it doesn't, they just open their mouth and yell. So getting them to understand that it's not a good idea to bite people, throw food or draw on the walls is a matter of embedding a culture. Being clear about the message is a good start. Creating an enabling environment helps as well. But another key device is setting a feedback pattern to help reinforce the desired behaviour. Such reinforcement, and learning theory makes it clear that this approach does work, uses a combination of reward and sanction. For example, a visit to the time-out corner. And it's the same in organisational cultures. Making them stick will certainly involve reinforcing the message through feedback, rewards and incentives. Examples might include celebrating innovation achievements, having a hall of fame, recognising teams and individuals who make a contribution, and particularly making sure that people who take risks or move outside the expected don't get punished or blamed if they fail. And that brings us to the last of the tasks we need to address. Review. Because in an uncertain, unpredictable world, simply doing the same thing may not always work. So for a long living culture, we also need the capacity to review and adapt it. Occasionally, we might have to do a major reset. Certainly, we'll all benefit from continuous improvement, tweaking and adjusting as we go along. We can see this in a startup where there's a fast pattern of learning and culture development. But we can also see it in long established organisations where dynamic capability 
this capacity reflect, to reflect on and change routines is critical to survival. For example, for much of the early part of this century, 3M looked to be comfortably residing near the top of the lists of the world's most innovative companies. But in 2007, it found its position slipping. Closer examination suggested that the company had placed too much emphasis on behaviours associated with the discipline of Six Sigma. Six Sigma, very valuable, but it led 3M to realise that it was perhaps losing its capacity for more radical risk-taking and reducing the flow of breakthrough products. A reset was called for, duly implemented, and by 2010 things were back on track. For Procter & Gamble, the reset was significant around 1999. After over 150 years of successfully working with a culture which emphasised internal strengths and capabilities, the company embarked on an ambitious transition to something they called Connect and Develop, opening themselves up to extensive collaboration with outside players. The move has taken time and involved a significant process of learning and embedding new behaviours and letting go of some obsolete patterns, but it's certainly working for them. So some key takeaways. If we really want an innovation culture, we perhaps should consider five things. One, be clear about what you want. Articulate the culture in terms of behaviours and artefacts. What would you see, feel and hear if people were doing this? Two, Recognise that there are many different innovation cultures involving various behaviours and underpinning values and ensure there's a good fit for your company. Three, remember that people can learn new behaviours, train innovation skills, move them around, stretch and develop them. Four, involve people in the project. Cultures emerge as a result of shared values and beliefs. People buy into behaving in this way. You can't dictate top-down, but you can indicate the direction you want to go and then allow space for building the culture together. And five, manage cultures actively. Reinforce, reward, recognise and review regularly. Aim to build dynamic capability, the capacity to review and change routines. Question the way we do things around here. Ask questions like, which routine should we keep and build on? Which ones should we abandon or do less of? And which new behaviours will we need to deal with newly emerging challenges? Mm -hmm.